0: This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by refer.com. If you want more clients and more business, check out refer.com. You can receive a free report on the five biggest referral killers. Just go to refer.com slash eternal leadership and try it for free for 14 days.
1: A lot of it starts for me very often, and I don't know if you found this, John, for you, but a lot of the best leaders are actually kind of reluctant leaders. You know, People who maybe found themselves in a leadership position and they're saying now oh my gosh what do i do now and and how do i uh again form a team how do i uh, uh, accomplish the role uh, that and then what is my role and and i think that's right there's a lot of role confusion in that
0: welcome to eternal leadership a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what god has created in them i'm steve Ryder, and that was today's guest joe roberts You'll hear more about Joe's story in a moment, but we decided to bring Joe into the Coach's Corner to ask him the following two questions. Number one, what's the role of a leader? And then the underlying question that's asked, how do I connect, develop, nurture those relationships with those I'm leading? And then number two, how do I influence my company's culture to one that honors Christ? Here's how my partner John Ramstead got this conversation started on this Coach's Corner edition of Eternal Leadership.
2: All right, this morning on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have another edition of The Coach's Corner. And today we have on Joe Roberts. Joe, welcome to the podcast.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you very much.
2: Now, it was awesome catching up with Joe. Joe uh, was a fighter pilot in the Air Force back in Vietnam, and he flew the OV-10 Bronco. And if people aren't familiar with that, it's a twin-engine prop it is a lethal looking airplane but you guys used to go in and do forward air controlling and spot missions for people so you were the first target that the people in country were shooting at before the jets would come in and try to do their mission weren't they joe
1: absolutely right yeah it was uh it's uh whatever you we we had an airborne role very often so we could be on site uh where the action was within five or ten minutes and uh and then we had six radios going on on that airplane trying to find out uh, who's on what frequency and what do we need to talk to. Them. And we're talking to the ground troops. We're talking to our headquarters back in the, in, in the, the tactical operations center. And then when they, when the, pilot, uh, the fighters would come up, then we'd get them sacked up as well. So you had to learn to really be a good listener. Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
2: <laughs> I bet you did. And, you know, you were just sharing before we got started. Um, you you got out of the Air Force uh, really after connecting with something in in Scripture about the parable of the talents, and I know you've had just a long career in business, also yeah. as an executive and business coach. You've done training around the world, worked with thousands of people and mm. uh, some huge companies. So maybe you can just spend a couple minutes, uh, Joe, on just your uh, your journey, you know, from the Air yeah. Force till today, and then we can dive into some great questions we've gotten from our listeners.
1: Yeah, well. Um, I, th- I think it, it, it really goes all the way back. I was, a uh, uh, the third son of uh, a Nebraska uh, rancher. I was on a, uh, raised on a cattle ranch. Uh, my parents had moved there when I was just a couple years old and, and as all, I guess, um, young boys do, maybe they don't, but at least what I did was I dreamed of one day flying and I'd get up in the crook of a cottonwood tree and, and pretend I was flying. And, uh, uh, and then as you as we know the way the Lord works in our lives is that that wasn't just my dream yeah that was his dream for me as well and and so after um, uh, a, a lot of uh, th- amazing constant uh, coincidences happened I end up then being able to uh, to go to the Air Force Academy and as a result of that uh, um, w- went on to, uh, to be a pilot and it was just at the time when when Vietnam was on the go so obviously I know what it's like to fly in combat and get shot at and that was a good preparation for being involved in training and development <laughs> because uh, <laughs> you uh, you, uh, you sometimes aren't always speaking to a a warm uh, friendly audience uh, uh, so uh, along about i uh, I've been in the air force i was uh, a, a um, commander uh, of of a, of a in a flight uh, in uh, stationed in England I was flying f fours at the time. And uh, but the Lord had really been stirring me up and that there was something else I ought to be doing in my life just besides flying airplanes. Um, and so I fancied kind of you know, being in business for myself. And and having been an instructor pilot, I loved the thought of being able to help other people do things they didn't think they could do. And, you know. John, I don't know if you ever found this. I'm not sure you were ever an instructor pilot, but I know you're, you're flying. You know the feeling when it's what it's like, don't you, when you make a landing that absolutely just put, you know, it really, really, you know, it just hits all the spaces and you say yes to yourself.
2: Well, yeah. not just that. As an instructor pilot, helping somebody else do a very complex maneuver and they nail it. That's right. That was just as rewarding because you mastered it yourself. Yeah. But, you know, you you really want to help other people – you know, get to the point where they're just, you know, the best at what they can do yeah. and bring out the best in them and, you know, be able to, you know, see something in them that they're not seeing in themselves at that time. Because, as you know, people going through that pipeline, the pressure, the washout rate, uh, you know, each flight. Uh, people aren't aware of this. I mean, I think in the Navy pipeline, there's about 300 flights from primary through intermediate through advanced jet training, yeah. you know, landing on aircraft carriers and guns and navigation. But every single flight, there we always had two things that were graded, and that was air work and head work, the decision mm. you're making. And if yeah. you get a down, if you fail one flight, you're going to go to a, a, a review board. You'll probably get a chance to refly that flight. But if you failed two flights out of those 300, uh, you're probably done. You're not going to continue in the Navy. You would go out to a, a ship. And so, uh, you know, helping people, you know, just become their best and, and come out is something that, you know, I brought out of the the military world, you know, that mindset into the civilian world. It's what I'm doing today. It's why I'm a coach. I just love seeing people achieve things that they, they didn't even realize that they could get to on their own.
1: Uh, John, we're a kindred spirit. That's exactly what led me into that way. And, and, and I felt uh, what was amazing. I, I felt I was good at it, you know, and I got to be good at it. And, and so people would come to me when they, when they faced some kind of barrier in their life that, that wasn't helping them to get what they wanted to, especially in a leadership role, especially when how to get the best out of people, or how do I organize myself so that I can get more done or whatever it was. It, it's, it, uh, I just found the same thing. It's just, uh, by by using kind of a coaching approach they they're, they're able to tackle things they didn't believe in themselves and and the joy on their face and the and and uh the the kind of the thrill of seeing them say i can do this yeah was uh you know for me that's better than the than the pay i've earned over the last 30 years of been doing this you know it's a, it's absolutely amazing to get people um to achieve things they didn't think they could yeah What a joy.
2: Isn't it, though? You know, every time today when I see, you know, when I have a coaching appointment on my calendar for that day, uh, man, I just, I love it. I get excited. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, suiting up and getting back in the fighter plane to, you know, take somebody out and help them get to that next level. But, you know, that brings us to our first question that we're going to talk about today. And I think this is a great question. Um, It was somebody that was talking to you just about leadership. Yeah. And, you know, as a leader, you know, what is really the definition and role of a leader? A lot of it is viewed as, you know, it's some I have to have the answers. I need to set the vision. I need to motivate my people. And, you know, that is a lot for a person to take on. It can be overwhelming. So the question was really what is the role of a leader in what we're trying to do in those areas, right? Have the answers, set vision, motivate people. And really underlying that was the questions about how do I really – um, connect and engage and develop those relations with the people that I'm leading. So let's just start there. If somebody had, you know, one of our clients uh Joe and we we deal with this yeah. when people come to us and they they th- these are definitely questions that are front of mind. Yeah. Cuz people really want to work in their strengths, but um I think leadership nowadays, I think leadership principles are pretty timeless, they're universal, but it's really the style in which we apply these Principles, and I think, uh, especially in the world that we're at today, with this millennial generation coming on, these there's you know these kid these younger generations that are eighteen to thirty five. Mm. A lot of the you know things that you and I have done in traditional business, traditional business cultures, are not connecting and resonating with this new generation. And there's yeah. this huge opportunity. For people, our generation, to have this transfer of leadership, transfer of life skills, so it's really about adapting that style. So, where would you start out work working with a client that had these questions front of mind?
1: Yeah, you know, really, really good question. And uh, I, I think uh, it's a lot of it starts uh, for me very often. And I don't know if you found this, John, for you, but a lot of the best leaders are actually kind of reluctant leaders. You know, people who maybe found themselves in a leadership position. And they're saying, now, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? And, and how do I, uh, again, form a team? How do I uh, uh, accomplish the role? Uh, that? And then what is my role? And, and I think that's right. There's a lot of role confusion in that. And especially uh, if what our model has been in the past is, uh, I'm sure it was for you, John, when you're in the military, it was um, uh, someone would say jump and you'd say how high on the way up. Yeah, and that was kind of your role, you know, just to be obedient and just do what they said. And and, and my experience is very similar to what you were saying about uh, the the eighteen to thirty year olds that that very often they don't respond very well to the either to the carrot or the stick. Yeah, and no, correct. And and and, and therefore we need to kind of take a different approach. And 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 I think we, we can uh, obviously being a Christian for me, uh, looking at the model of, of Christ that he. Uh, f- first and foremost, was a servant leader. He said, "He said developing the attitude and approach with people that, uh, hey, I'm here to serve you and help you be the person you're meant to be, not the other way around." And and uh, I think Dwight Eisenhower said it really, really well when he was the um, uh, you know, the supreme Allied commander uh, during World War II. Uh, he said, "I found the key to it was." Uh, was to find out where other people were going. And if it led anywhere near to where I wanted to go, then I would just hop on. You know, so it's like, he said, uh, uh, w- w- where's the bandwagon going? You know, he used the expression of the bandwagon. You know, And I don't know if you grew up in the country like I did, John, but, but we used to have uh, parades in town. You know, and they had this big bandwagon yeah and so to, to before the the start of something we had uh the one of uh, the biggest rodeos in in Nebraska where I grew up and, uh and and the way they would kind of announce everyone because there wasn't media social media and all that kind of stuff they'd have a parade through the middle of town and up come this bandwagon you know and uh and so the expression was, uh, you know, where, where's the bandwagon going? And then you'd kind of follow along with that. And and uh, so Dwight Eisenhower kind of used that as an example of how he led, especially when you talk about some of the strong-minded individuals he had, you know, the you know the Romneys and the Pattons and the other generals at the time. He said, well, look, if you're going to get the best out of uh, out of uh, those guys yeah, you're not going to tell them what to do. You're going to have to say, where are they going that's going anywhere where we need to go? And then what could, my role is just to kind of guide them along and I think the start of it for me John is to become a friend of them become trusted yeah and and I don't know about you but I found the people I trust are those who I know really care about me as an individual who take the time to listen to me who take the time to to understand what it's like being in my shoes in my world yeah and it's building that strong relationship. And one of the best books I ever read on that was uh, Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. Yeah.
2: Yes, you know when I first got out of the military, <laughs> one of the one of my first business mentors told me where I was going to be in five years is it's going to depend on who you associate with. Yeah. You know, you you become the least of the top five people that you're hanging around, I and w- that. and what books you read. And he challenged me to read a book. Uh, at least ten pages every night before I went to bed, mm-hmm. and he would check in with me. And I got to tell you, I was working tremendous hours. I was exhausted a lot. I'll never forget once I'm I'm laying there with the book on my on my chest, and I'm asleep. And my wife nudges me. She goes, "That's amazing." I said, "What?" She goes, "That's amazing how you can read a book with your eyes closed." I wish <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> but the first book he recommended yeah. I read was How to Win Friends and Influence People because. One of the things that's in there, you know, we're talking about relationships and we're talking about, you know, setting that vision, motivating the team. Um, you know, I would ask that person, why do you feel that it's necessary for you to be the person with all the answers yeah. when you have this entire team around you that you've hired for their capabilities and their talents? That's right. So what if you took a sincere interest in what they had to add, both in the context of the business and, and, and the, the vision of the company and how we should motivate people, you have this incredible team around you. You don't have to be the person that has all the answers. And when you engage people in that process and your team feels like they have ownership in that, and I would ask people on a scale of 1 to 10, whatever the vision is today, if you had people actually write down, and I do this when I first go into a company, I ask people, what are the values that are represented here in this yeah. culture? I actually just did this. I'm doing a 360 interview for um, the leadership team at a public company that I'm working with. And I asked all the stakeholders during these 360 interviews, what are the values of this company? And uh, nobody had the same list. And half of them were very honest. I couldn't tell you what the values are here.
1: No.
2: They, they don't know what they are. What is, wow. the, what is the, the vision? You know, That's the direction that we're going with this company. People yeah. didn't know. They know what they do. Right. This is, you know, they can tell you, you know, we make these widgets, we sell this product, we do this kind of consulting, but they can't tell you really what, you know, why we do that or really how, what's the character and the values behind that. So I think having those discussions with your team and in developing relationships through that process can be huge in a leader actually yeah. start now connecting with at, at a personal level, not yeah. just as a you know these are my coworkers.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it reminds me of um, uh, a, gay by the, a guy by the name of David that I was working with in a in a company and in, in, in the UK. Uh, and and he was uh, of the old school. You know, he was a rugby player. Yeah, and so he he thought the way to uh, get the best out of people was to yeah, to, to, again, to be the one that worked the longest hours, get in early, you know, stay late, you know, and then when it came to the meeting, he had to be the one that was in control of the meeting, and he and he told people what to do and all the time, and, and I don't know about your experiences, but certainly mine is when you tell people what to do, uh, if they do it, they'll do it for just a little short period of time, and then they'll go back to their natural behavior, and if you really want people to change, it has to be a different approach. We took them through um, a, a coaching development program, so we're going to say, uh, David, we're going to teach you how to coach rather than how to lead. And he said, well, what does that, how does that apply to leadership? Yeah, coaches. I mean, what, what does that mean? So I said, well, you were a rugby coach. You kind of know what that's like. But uh, it, And I wonder if we could help you to develop some of the same skills that you use as a rugby player as you do as a as a, as a a leader in business and as a managing director in your company. And, uh, and so David goes along to this thing and, and one of the first things we taught them was this, uh, a, a real a skill that I think is just so essential if we're going to be leaders in to, uh, in today's world, and that is to be a good listener, and to ask the right questions, to ask the the powerful questions, as you were saying, which which gets to the heart of it. So not just talking about what is going on, but also why. Why are we doing this? Yeah, and mm-hmm. and what's motivating you? What's driving you? To, to want to do a good job here at work, yeah. And, and whatever problem you're trying to solve, uh, it, so, so often we as leaders think what we have to do is solve people's problems when they come to us. So, uh, John, if you were to come to me and say, well, how do I, uh, how do I make sure that client uh, uh, pays us on time? Well, one way is I could tell you, but guess what you would do, yeah? You'd go out and try that, and if it didn't work, guess what would happen?
2: I might succeed or fail, but you haven't equipped me to no. think on, you know, to to do that on my own when the situation is different next time. Yeah. So and that's what we need to be doing is developing the people. So if I asked you, you know, Joe, what do you think you should do? Now you might already have in your head the answer as the leader, exactly what Joe should be doing. And yeah. maybe you can get there, but by you know asking, you know, figuring out where they're at, then you can actually identify maybe some of the gaps. In some of the knowledge or the skill sets that they might have or the thinking, the shift in perspective that might have to occur. And you start asking questions around that because if they can create their own self-awareness about either the gap – or how to get to a solution on their own, then they have ownership in it, and you 've equipped them on how to do this so now, what happens is you you 've given them authority and autonomy in the future, where you, as a leader can now trust them and a lot of, now some of those decisions that might be on your plate, you know a lot of the leaders and companies are working crazy hours yeah. it's because they haven 't effectively equipped they 're taking the time to equip the people that they're there, that first team that they're working with. I'm a big fan of Lencion's work. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's a, he's a great of, Christian brother, and I love his absolutely. books. Um, but, you know, he's a huge proponent of equipping and developing trust and communications and accountability in that first team. And so I think, you know, your real role as a leader is to really coach people toward, uh, you know, a very healthy, trusting organization that's doing that. In fact, John, I think delegation really is just uh, uh, kind of a
1: special part of being a coach. Yeah, that if we delegate well, we, we, the best way is through through coaching. Yeah, through through helping the person decide what is the what is the desired result look like. Yeah, and then okay, how do you think we could get there? You know, and getting the person to express all of that. And, and I don't know about you, if you, I'm sure you have uh, in your experience, but but. Uh, when you have someone who really listens to you, who really listens deeply, who doesn't come with their own agenda, but just comes with a no agenda whatsoever, other than just to listen to you. Um, what a difference that makes in terms of our ability to to get clarity in our own thinking. And I think the best thing we can do as coaches, uh, as a leader, as a coach, is to get people to stop and think, and just to think through things for themselves. Uh, 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 I remember one time with my wife, uh, she comes in to me and uh, and she's uh, she says the cars broke down and I was in the middle of something doing something else she said the cars broke down. I said okay well uh, and straight away, without listening to her, I just started saying, uh, "Well, here's here's what you need to do. Try this. To look at the battery. Blah 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 whatever those things. Get the mechanic to come over there do it. Well, and I thought I'd solve the problem. And she went home. And and finally, later on, at the end of the day, I go go home to see her. And she was just fuming mad. Yeah, she was really angry with me. And I said, uh, "Heidi, what's what's wrong? I, 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 you got the car fixed?" She said, "Yeah, but I didn't want your answer. <laughs> what I wanted you to do was to listen to me and then about what was actually really going." Going
2: on. You know, it's interesting. Um, I was just uh, leading a mastermind group and I asked the group, think of one time, and it, you know, people listening right now, think of this. What's one time when you truly felt listened to? Mm. And what did that do for you? How did you feel when you felt truly listened to? Somebody who truly, you know, validated where you were coming from, asked you some questions, um, and allowed you to get some clarity because you were able to share. Yeah. What did that do for you? Now, think about that. Uh, I think all of us probably have some bright spots where that happened. Imagine if those were the kind of conversations you were having with your coworkers, with your employees, with the people on your team, how that would almost overnight change the dynamics of how people operated if they were truly. And you know what? To be listened to, you have to have a safe place to do that. So this really talks about uh, as a leader developing a culture where people can trust each other, where it's safe to succeed and fail, you know, mm-hmm. to be accountable for those actions, but in a sure. way that you know we're going to fail forward, not fail right. and, and get on a get well plan and get. Now there's places for that. Sometimes we have you know people aren't as Jim Collins says on the right seat on the bus, but uh, you know maybe there's another seat on the bus we move them to, or maybe they don't belong on the bus. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation
1: sure yeah but it is trying to get that that uh as you said that atmosphere where uh hey we're not we're not blaming we're just learning yeah this is let's 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 have a go and and i think for me one of the concepts i try to to get across straight away to leaders is that the role of leaders is to get people to get outside their comfort zones is to take a step into into that scary space where they may fail yeah and, and I see this so much as, the, and again, just modeled on what Jesus did to his disciples, but also what he asks us to do, is that it, it is that sense of how do we, we, how do we really start operating in faith? How do we take a step into the water? And very often, it's, it's by getting people to to get outside their comfort zone and saying to themselves, you know, I, I want to change. You know, I want to do things differently. I need to. I, I believe I can. And, and at the start... Uh, we, as a coaches, may have to believe for them because they may not be able to believe for themselves that they can, but if we can encourage them to say okay i 'm going to have a go that that 's the start of getting people i think to really start to develop, yeah, and as long as we have that attitude of mind, this isn 't about you doing uh, and I know a lot of people talk about this in, in leadership let 's do the right things first yeah well i don 't think i don 't think that 's possible i don 't think we do the right thing first, I think we have to do. Uh, do the right things until we can do them right, yeah, because chances are the first time we do it we're gonna fail yeah otherwise it's it's something we can already do so if we're going to ch- get people to grow, we got to get them to get outside the comfort zone
2: well, you know you brought up something that's that's really really an important point uh you know when i when we both had student pilots back in the day. You know, we we knew that if they were at that point in their training while they are working with us where we were instructing, that they had the ability to do it. They might not see it in themselves yet. Now, yeah. let, let's take that in the business world. We might have somebody in a role, whether it's sales or operations or finance, or it, maybe it's a new role to them. They were internal promotion. But if we choose to look at them and speak to them as – uh, seeing the potential in them, yeah, where, where they could right. be, what they could grow to, they're mm-hmm. going to rise to that level. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very important for as leaders to have that aspirational piece of seeing the potential in people and then really working with our language and how our interactions are to bring that potential out in people. Because when people feel valued, when they feel they're being recognized, uh, that, they're, that they're being developed, those are the people that want to stay at your company long term. They're not seeing your company as just a layover until they find something better. Uh, I can't remember the stats that came out. I think it was, I was just reading this from Banner Research. 83% of the people that left a job oh, uh, cool. was because of how they were being interacted with by their wow. direct manager. So maybe that's the CEO of the company, maybe that's you, but you know there's some some things to think about right there.
1: Oh, absolutely, and part of that role of of being a leader, as a coach, I, I like to think of it as that uh, uh, it's like you hold up a mirror to that that other person. And, and and your job is to hold the mirror up there, and when they look into it, it's like Cinderella when she was dressed as a uh, as a as a you know as a maid, you know that she sees herself as a princess. Mm-hmm. And so so often, uh, the the role of I I believe an effective coach is to is to see that that highly valued uh, worthwhile person that that may be struggling inside there, and and then if you hold up that mirror to them, and they can see themselves in a new light. Then you're much more likely to help them to move forward. To, to actually say, "Hey, look, I, if you believe I can, then I can." I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, it's uh, what I've heard you describe is it's a law of expectation. Yeah, if you expect uh, things out of people, then you're going to get it. There's another another expression is called the Pygmalion effect. Um, uh, are you familiar with the py- Pygmalion effect? Uh, no. Okay, Pygmalion was. Uh, back in Greek mythology was um, this guy uh, was a great sculptor so what he wanted to do because he had difficulty uh, in relationships he created a, a statue of a, of, a, of a woman yeah and, um, and and he created such a an amazing statue of this woman that that um, Aphrodite the, the, the goddess of love or whatever said okay well we're gonna uh, bring her to life yeah. And so that's that's exactly what happened. So the Pygmalion effect was that that this guy saw even within this piece of rock or whatever he was uh, sculpting, he saw this beautiful woman and it actually came to life. And uh, and the film My Fair Lady is all if, for those of us that are can remember way back that long is all about that, about a, a, a place where uh If you see some good in other people, they can do it. And of course, as you know, they've done studies in in schools and with other people where they said, uh, look, uh, uh, all of you with brown eyes sit on this side of the room. All you with with kind of blue type eyes, you sit on this side of the room. Yeah. And so they got them separated and they said to the brown eyed kids, uh, we have discovered through scientific research that brown eyed kids do better at school. So uh, uh, and because of that, We're going to really expect you guys to really perform really well, and and the blue-eyed kids. Well, look, we unfortunately you're not quite (laughs) as gifted. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. Uh, You're not. You're you're probably going to be okay this semester. But hey, uh, we know the brown-eyed. We're going to really expect a lot from you. And of course, the brown-eyed kids, you know, kind of said, "Oh no, this isn't true, whatever." But they sure enough, because uh, they they thought they they had something special because they brown-eyed. Guess what? At the end of the semester. Uh, what the scores were, and and, and the brown eyed kids were much better than the blue eyed. Yeah, and then after the end of the first semester, they said. Hey, sorry, we got it wrong. It's actually the other way around. The blue-eyed kids are the ones that really are the smartest. They're the ones that have their brain going, and the brown-eyed. I'm sorry, it's just not going go to go work. And so the now next. That's a, semester, now that's a
2: cruel experiment, Joe. It is. It, it is. is. My goodness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it actually was done, and in uh, one of our schools, and and, uh, and of course, at the end of the day, then it was all revealed that they wanted to prove that the, the way the teacher looks at the student. Determines the capability of the student, and and it, it is directly related, and it's actually been been proven, and they've done it with um, yeah with all kinds of experiments. You know, on this
2: topic, if people are interested, there's a great book by Carol Dweck called Mindset that I would really recommend people get and read. Mm-hmm. So you know, but th- this this is good. This brings us into our our second question. that I really think builds on this conversation. Um, Steve uh, Ryder and I had a podcast a while ago, and we were talking about the difference between a you know is there such thing as a Christian company? Because we've been talking a lot on this podcast about marketplace ministry. Yeah. And uh, my opinion is there's really not such thing as a Christian company, no. but there is a company that through its leadership honors Christ. Yeah. It's different. So the question came in is, how, you know what does that really look like? If I am a Christian leader in a company where maybe I'm the only person here who shares my belief, how do I influence the company to one that, that honors Christ? So what he's really mm-hmm. talking about in my mind is how do I influence and impact culture? Yeah. So if somebody comes to you and that's something that's on their heart as a leader, uh, where do you start out with them, Joe? And then I can share some of my thoughts, too.
1: Sure. Uh, well, the first one was uh, I remember when I was uh, a Christian in the Air Force, uh, uh, and I, I went through the through the ranks, and, and and I thought the way to influence was was to to be the uh, uh, kind of the, uh, the the most extroverted at the parties, you know, to make everyone laugh and have fun and and to really like me, and because of that, I was setting a good Christian example. Yeah, and and of course. Uh, as you may uh, realize, if you've been a Christian very long, that doesn't work. Yeah, You, you can't just be, uh, uh, you know, uh, of the world, being that worldly thing. And I, th- I think, uh, and I remember when it happened for me, God finally said to me, he said, well, are you going to please men or are you going to please me? And it was like I heard it, uh, John, as a, as a word spoken into my ear. Uh, as serious as uh, we're talking together with each other. And, I, and, and God has given me a choice. Hey, do you want to please men or do you want to please me? And I said, Lord, of course I want to please you. He said, okay, then something's going to change. And and right away, I think what, what I did at that time was uh, I just said, uh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And so I, I actually started then to, to talk to people uh, about being uh, that I was a Christian. And that when we conduct our meetings before we go out to fly, I'd appreciate it if you would control your language. Yeah, because there's certain things that really are quite offensive to me. And I'd appreciate it if you didn't. And and so I think so much of it is just setting an example. And But being able to kind of come out, as it were, and, and, and let people know that you have a, a worldview that involves the Judeo-Christian ethic, which means certain things uh, are offensive to me. And and therefore, uh, let's start with with how we speak with one another. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but that's that's where I started from. And I would think as as any leader, um, I was there was not a company, even though most of them, uh, uh, as you know, aren't run by Christians. Uh, they respect the fact that they knew I was coming from a Christian background. Yeah, and then when I would go in there as a consultant or as a coach, uh, they knew straight away. That there were certain things that they were acceptable and certain things weren't, if they were going to uh, you know, have my support and, and, and leadership. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that was a start, and and then and then I think I, I never ever um, I don't know about you how you do that, but I wouldn't ever tell people about my faith uh, directly unless they asked me. But obviously they did, then I would. Um, but f- so most of it for me was just. Uh, uh, just modeling what I thought were, were Christian principles, you know, be truthful, you know, tell the truth. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, And you know, the, the thing that, uh, you know, I bring people back to, especially in leaders, I really think, uh, and we had Dan Milan on, uh, a podcast a while ago, and he said something that really just resonated with me and uh, is that in the marketplace, you know, where we need, you know, to have credibility with others, to even have that opportunity to even share our faith, is we need to operate with competency and excellence. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, you think of Colossians uh, 3.23, right? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's right. So think about, you know, everything that we do, you know, how we communicate, the language that we use, the decisions that we make. Um, you know, like I had uh, in a company I was at. One of my partners was uh, had a Bible on his desk and ran Bible study, but when he had to miss a meeting, you know, if he got overbooked, he would tell his assistant, hey, just tell, uh, you know, the people, reschedule that. Just tell them, I don't know, I had a death in the family or I have a doctor's appointment or something. Mm-hmm. You know, little lapses in integrity like that, all of a sudden, it, you're gonna completely lose your what the credibility yeah. that you have yeah. um, you know I think the other part of it too is a lot of business leaders tend to focus on some of the tangible business items uh, you know strategy, marketing finance technology r d uh, sales in, all those are very very important in the business <clears throat> but you know kind of building on what we talked about before, the relationship side Absolutely, of things. Right. Right. You know, how do we be an influence in the culture to um, I I think, you know, gossip is one place that we can start with. Now, here's how I define gossip. You're talking to somebody about uh, uh, somebody else who's not part of the problem or the solution. Mm. And if you can create a, a, a culture where politics and gossip are minimized where communication is clear and you're not having just expectations but you're having agreements with the people that you work with uh, so I'm not trying to just meet some unknown expectation uh, you're creating a culture where there's high morale uh, where people feel productive where there is that trust you know that leads yeah. to all that leads to you having the relationships with people that starts to give you know you permission to have influence in their life I'll never forget at a company I was working at, um, a young man who was working for us who uh, had a wild lifestyle, he was gay, and he asked me to be his mentor, Wow! and he knew exactly where I stood in my life, but he also saw what I was doing in business and with other people and developing people. And, Mm. um, you know, he didn't make any radical changes in his life, but he gave me the permission to work with him as a mentor over the course of a year and have influence in his life, yeah. and we developed a great relationship. And you know, I think you just have to be open to wherever God gives you those opportunities to to touch another life at what you know at whatever level, whether it's small or big. Uh, it, it wasn't my goal. This could be different with other people to just share the gospel with everybody I worked with. Yeah. But I knew that if I could set an example uh, through how I lived and how I acted. Uh, where they would say, you know, what? There's something different about him. There's yeah. something special there. What is it about him? He keeps talking about his faith. I wonder if there's something there, and maybe God uses that somewhere down the road for somebody else to open the door a little further, to bring a little more light in, to bring a message in that maybe I didn't get to deliver at the workplace, but I but I set set the table for that conversation to happen. So that's yeah, part I, about how I think about it,
1: and I think it is about being uh, walking uh, the talk. You know that that if you believe that this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it then then that means when you go to work you you have to act like that i mean you don't have to start off the day uh especially if they don't know you by by actually quoting that or something or, or by singing a, a jesus song but at the same time uh being cheerful you know being someone that other people like to be around yeah is i think it's just uh, that for me. Uh, making yourself attractive, yeah. You know, spe- uh, speaking the good about people, you know, seeing the good in others, as you said, instead of the gossip type of thing, is that when you talk about others, uh, talk, talk about what you see as a good quality in them, not not about what they're doing, yeah. You know, and as you as you already mentioned, but just avoiding that whole blame culture, yeah. You know, gee, don't, yeah. You know, just don't allow that to happen, yeah. You know, and and you as a leader, uh, stop the blame culture, yeah. You know, you, you you I step in there and say, look. Uh, have you talked to that person about it? If they failed that, uh, have you talked to them about it? What What are you going to, you know, What are you have you done that's going to, to change that so that we just don't carry that forward? So, so much of it is being, in, you know, acting in integrity, being
2: truthful, but at the same time being honest. And and if things aren't going well, you have to say that as well. Well, you know, there's a there's a powerful biblical concept that when every when it's absent in a company. Uh, the company does not achieve what it can achieve. And when it is there, some amazing things starts to happen. And that's the whole concept of unity. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, as a leader, here's just some practical things that you could do uh, at, at your team meeting. Um, and we were talking about this before with the re- relationships and casting vision. But ask your team, you know, why do we exist? Mm-hmm. And why are you here? You know what, the, what's going to happen, and it'll be a very rich discussion, but you can really get to the core purpose, the fundamental reason of why the company's in business, and it's not about money. I'll guarantee you in a conversation like this, you're not going to, that might be there, but that's a, that is a... Uh, uh, not a side benefit, but that is a, it's a uh, byproduct. That's yeah. a byproduct. It is yeah. a result of doing things right. The yeah. other thing that you can do uh, is what I call a social contract. And I do this with companies when I first start. And you, you, you work with that team. You ask, okay, how do we want to treat each other? Hmm. And have people start writing up on the board, you know, uh, integrity, uh, respect, uh, you know, honesty uh, with forgiveness And uh, as people brainstorm, now usually this is, uh, we do this over a couple hours, usually over lunch, it takes about an hour and a half. And we come up with how we're gonna agree that everybody is gonna treat each other. But the next step is, what are we gonna do if if somebody violates what we just agreed on how we're gonna treat each other? Now here's the amazing thing, working with all kinds of companies, Christian-led companies and secular companies the process of how we're going to address that almost always gets back to the biblical model every time of yeah. go to that person individually. That's it? If that doesn't work out, let's go bring somebody else in to kind of help us mediate this. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, let's bring it to the whole team and have a conversation with a whole group on how do we address this. And we have people you know actually take that process and document it. And it's very important for the leader, especially if he gets called on one of these, to follow the example here. But having this social contract that's really based on our values and how, because as a Christian, you can really influence um, a a way of developing relationships, communicating people, treating people that you know at the end of the day is, you know, God's going to be smiling on, you know, that's part of this culture.
1: Absolutely right, and uh, that uh, uh, because I I heard a lot of what you said. There was again about uh, Patrick Lencioni's type of work, isn't it? Really, he he kind of really goes down that road, and 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 I think uh, people who 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 walk the talk, who who really uh, uphold that, and and I think so often uh, as a leader uh, in our and as a Christian in organizations, we just have to be the one. That that is able to say this this is the path that 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 we know to go down and and as you know John it, it's not only just good biblical thing but because it works it's great whether you're a, a Christian or a non-Christian if you follow Christian principles they're going to work for you you know the law of sowing and reaping works whether you believe it or not isn't it huh and and so getting people to know that they're sowing the right things and and I I've worked in um, in organizations where they're or people from the Far East, uh, people from from er- almost any background of culture, and when we've had these kind of values discussions and how they like to be treated, it's universal, John. It seems to me there's there's very little difference. Yeah, no one's going to say to them, "Well, I want someone to lie to me." Yeah, I wish that yeah you know, that uh, or uh, I don't want to be uh, trusted. You know, let, let's don't build a culture of trust. because obviously people want an honest, open, trusting. Uh, environment that they can actually produce their best and they want people to believe in them and not people who will who will look at their bad side but people who will who will look for the good in them and and i just think we're modeling christ so much when we do that and 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 that's yeah if you will that's my uh answer to someone who wants to really be a christian in the workplace and how to do it
2: yeah. And, you know, and uh, on the business side of things, uh, you know, people sometimes ask me, you know, working in some of these software areas, culture, values, does it really have, you know, a business reason behind doing it? Um, right. You know, it definitely has an eternal reason, but there's a book called Built to Sell. And he did uh, a ton of research and analytics. And uh, what he found was a values-based culture. He analyzed uh, a whole bunch, uh, thousands of uh, transactions Sold for an average of eight to twelve percent more than than equivalent companies that didn't have a culture like that. So mm-hmm. think about that: a five million dollar company. If you're a business owner and you're building your company, that's an extra what five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars of value that you've built because you've actually worked in some of these areas, and that you know that is uh, quantifiable as an ROI. So, I mean, there there are significant you know eternal reasons, spiritual reasons, but there's also very clear hard business reasons to be doing this So I think you know a lot of us focus on the the tradition the 90% of our time in a lot of the traditional areas you know sales marketing, you know technology things like that, uh, I, I think if we actually shifted that small five10 percent of time that leaders spend and really the relationship, the people skills in the culture, uh, the results is not only a better place to work, but it's a place that has a much more significant impact in the lives of the people that you're touching. Not only in the company, but the lives that the people in that company touch. Yeah, and and people
1: uh, it, uh, even running a meeting uh, using what I would call more of a coaching approach into running a meeting. I, I, that that there's just been so many uh, st- studies done for that. Now, I mean, one organization we were doing that with, where we took them through how to run effective meetings and and getting really people involved and for the facilitate and teaching people to facilitate the meeting not to just lead it but to actually get people as you were saying to really say what's on their heart and mind and get it out in the open and then, and then assigning accountability about okay who's going to do this by the time we get back together again and using much more of a of a questioning uh, coaching approach than a tell approach and 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 this guy uh, that uh, the company I was working with, a guy by the name of John, actually uh, uh, John O. We called him, and and John o said, you know, people's engagement has gone up so much. Our productivity, I've tracked it over a period of time, and he had some measures that he used for that, has gone up over seventeen percent this year, just because we've taken uh, a much more of a coaching approach and 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 kind of following. These kind of uh, principles and guidelines that really help to get the best out of people. And so, like you said, he said it's more profitable. And in fact, uh, his CEO, a guy by the name of Nigel Mapp, said, "You know, the investment we've put into people ha- has has been the best investment I've ever made in my company." And we're talking about you know tens of thousands of pounds or dollars that he put into it. And uh, yeah, so uh, obviously, I'm a big believer in training and, and development especially using Christian principles. Yeah, I just don't, there's no, there's no, uh, uh, yeah, there's no better cause than doing that for if you want to get the best out of your organization.
0: To learn more about Joe, his coaching and his website, just go to our show notes at eternalleadership.com slash 095. By the way, Joe is going to be running a lead-through coaching program here in the Colorado Springs area in February and March of 2016. Over three weekends, they will be covering skills like mental toughness and self-confidence, questioning and listening, highly effective collaborative teamwork, and much, much more. We'll have information about that program in our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 095. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Refer.com. When my partner, John Ramstead was building a $300 million book of business, he used spreadsheets, calendars, CRM, etc. to manage relationships and get business and referrals. Refer.com automates all that work in relationship management. Both John and I use Refer.com and we can't recommend it highly enough. You'll be able to try it for free for 14 days. Refer.com slash eternal leadership and as i said at the top if you go to refer.com slash eternal leadership you can receive a free report on the five biggest referral killers refer.com slash eternal leadership special thanks to all of you that have reached out to john and myself and for those of you that share what we're doing we have a fantastic community and we love you all thank you if you've never let us know you're out there shoot us both a message john at eternal leadership.com and steve at eternalleadership.com. Next on eternal leadership, Nora Abel. I believe that business and in life, everything starts with uh, your vision or what matters most
1: to you. Habakkuk says to seek for the vision diligently. And then when you get
0: it, write it down so that it will not hasten to come. And so a lot of what I've seen in business is that business owners, they start with a vision that they think they uh, that's important to them. But what I do is I help People um, connect
1: why they care about what they care about to the experiences that they've gone through in life.
0: For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.